Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Zoe Church Podcast. Thank you so much for streaming and listening to this week's message. We are concluding a series that we've been in called How to Love. I'm going to jump into one of the most famous portions of Scripture on love, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, in just a moment. But before I do, let me just thank every person that shares, comments, and subscribes to our podcast. And I want to thank everyone that gives the first Sunday of March, that's what we're in today, and we want to take a moment just to thank everyone that gives at our church, so thank you to every person that gives tithes and offerings. If you'd like, you can go to our website and give there, and let's hold on to the promise of Malachi chapter 310 that God will bless us beyond our wildest dreams when we obey him in tithes and offerings, so thank you to everybody that gives, but come on, let's conclude this series today. How to Love, this week's message is called Shaky Love. But today I want to talk about this idea, how to love, which comes to us first from God's love. I always love that verse in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude, it is not proud, talks about how love delights in the truth. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know that God's love is the love that's being described in this verse? God says, I don't even keep record of your wrongs. Maybe some of your friends, we know for sure your family keeps record of your wrongs, but God doesn't. God says, I will remember your sins no more. God is showing us what true love looks like. It's patient, it's kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not rude, it is not proud, it is not easily provoked to anger. That's a scripture for me. It says love always delights in the truth, it always hopes, it always trusts, it always protects. It says love never fails. That's the love that God has in our life. And as we receive God's love, it allows us to give love. The saying is true. I cannot give away what I do not have. So if I want to love any any important relationship, marriage or friendship, if I want to give away love, I must first receive love. So we learn how to love not from Dr. Phil. We don't learn how to love from somebody who has got a microphone on TikTok. We learn how to love from God's love. Some TikToker over there was like, this is funny. It's God. You got me, Pastor. We don't learn from humans on love. We learn from God. He is the ultimate love. He is the great example. And as you receive his power, his truth, you're able to give away love. I want to remind you what you've received in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore... Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. By which, by grace, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let us receive the kingdom of God. Let us, I always think the, the hardest job you got is being a Christian. If you've ever, if you've ever been around a Christian and they've made Christianity look difficult, They're missing it, not you. 
Have you ever been around a believer and you're like, dang, that looks like hard work. They're missing it. Because the work of a believer is receiving. One of my favorite things to do with God is not just to lift my hands up, but it's to put my hands out. It's in the posture of receiving. And it says, since you are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. See, the thing you got to know about God, God wants to stir you, but he doesn't want to shake you. The world wants to shake you. The world wants to mess you up. The enemy wants to shake your thinking and shake your believing and shake your friendships and shake your house. But God wants to stir you to believe, stir you to love, stir you to give. God doesn't shake you. He gives you a kingdom that is quite literally unshakable. You can shake the economy. You can shake the world with a virus. You can shake the world through media but you cannot shake a believer that receives the kingdom. I want to preach a message today, write down the title. It's called Shaky Love. See, because I think one of the things that's been messing with you is that the enemy's been trying to shake your marriage, shake your relationships. But I want to tell you that the way that you can, listen, I love, you know, going to a good wedding. Anybody love a good wedding? Nothing like a good wedding. And when I mean a good wedding, I'm talking about the DJ and I'm talking about the cake. You go to a good wedding and you look at these two beautiful people who are joining their lives together and they are saying to each other in sickness and in health, for rich or for L.A., poor, um, for. <laughs> Tell death do us part. They are making vows. But have you ever seen somebody that's married or seen a dating relationship that you would say, this is, this is, this is not going so well? This is, this, is, this is shaky. This is on the rocks. They're hanging on by a thread. They're not doing that well right now. See, I think God wants to take you from shaky love to a foundational love. And the only way that you can get your firm foundation is not building your marriage, not building your relationships on thoughts. It's to build our lives on God. The grass could wither, the flower could fade, but the word, the word of the Lord will last forever. We've got to find a way to get out of shaky love and to get out into foundational love. And the way that we do that, I've already mentioned it, but write down number one today. The first way we do that is we understand that God is faithful. God is a faithful God. So God has the ability to love us. By the word, the word faithful in the Hebrew is the word emet. It means truth, trust, or trustworthiness. God is full of truth. God can be trusted. God is trustworthy because God is faithful. God is the one that commits a vow and walks out the vow. God is the one that says in sickness or in health. God is the one that says in rich or poor. God is the one that says no matter what you go through, I will be faithful. Even when you are faithless, anybody thankful that God, he himself remains faithful. Look at the scriptures in Deuteronomy, this first one. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Therefore know the Lord your God, he is the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him 
and those who keep his commandments. Psalm 119 verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. God is a faithful God. God says no matter if you're sick, if you're poor, if you're bad, if you're rebellious, if you're not doing what you should be doing, I will love you. I will shower you. I will be merciful. I will show up. So all through the Old Testament, we see this picture of God's faithfulness. That God is faithful. No matter what the church does, they rebel. They turn their backs. They start rooting for the clippers. And um, God says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to love you. I'm going to be faithful to provide for you. So, by the way, if you're here and you grew up in a home of divorce or infidelity and you're, you're wanting yourself to learn how to be faithful, the way that you learn faithfulness is you learn it first from God. And, and re- let me remind you today what you probably already know. Whatever you worship, you become. So if you want to improve your faithfulness, Worship a faithful God. Because as I worship God, I become like God. And so if I ever want to work on my compassion, I worship the God who's full of compassion. If I ever want to improve on generosity, all I have to do is worship God who is the most generous and I will become generous. But the way we improve faithfulness is we serve a faithful God. And God is full of faithfulness. He's a faithful God. He says, I'll be faithful to a thousand generations. You serve me and I'll be faithful to your home. I'll be faithful to your family. I'm thankful today that I don't serve a God that, that he's like, um, let's see if you tithe this month. Let, let, let's see how often you go to connect group. Let, let, let's just see, you know, your, um, your attitude. This is like my parenting with my kids. Like if my kids mess up, I'm like, no screens for you. Like I'm just taking away. Like no, like no soup for you, no screen for you. I just take it away that fast. God's not, God is faithful. He is full of faithfulness. He is trustworthy because in my lowest moments, God said, I'm not going to turn my back. I'm going to shower you and love you. You know what we need? We need in our marriages when our spouse is not doing well, when our significant other is limping along, when the person that we've made vows to, when they're not well, how do I be faithful to them? I receive first faithfulness from God. And when God showers me with his love, I can give away love. When God forgives me, I can forgive somebody else. When God's generous to me, I can be generous to them. Everything in your life flows out of your relationship with God. If this is healthy, this will be healthy. But it's hard to have a good marriage and not have a good walk with God. That's why the work that you have is not loving your spouse, it's loving your God. And if I receive an unshakable kingdom, I probably won't have a shaky love. It was amazing. I was in Chicago a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and I just saw this recently online. I don't know if we passed over this bridge, but um, 34,000 people pass over this bridge every single day. And let me just show you the foundation. Can you put up this photo? This photo, this is the foundation of this bridge. 34,000 people cross over that. And when I saw that, I thought, you know, that looks like some of our faith. That looks like some of our relationships that it's barely hanging on by a thread. God wants you to receive an unshakable faith, an unshakable kingdom, 
And as you receive his love and receive his faithfulness, you're able to give his love and give his faithfulness. Uh, I said it before in the series, anybody could get married. Anybody could get married. But it takes hard work to stay married. And it is a lifelong adventure, a fine art skill to live happily married. And I don't know about you, but I want my marriage to thrive. I want my marriage to be happy. I want, that's why I give her the credit card and I say, do your thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, okay. So, um, anyways, um, we want everything in our power because nothing tells the world of our faith like our marriage. It's a testimony of how good God is. And so I, I, I want to give you a few things to write down today for you to get out of shaky love and get into foundational love. Let me give you four laws of marriage found in Genesis chapter 2. Go to Genesis chapter 2 in your Bible or your phone. Genesis chapter 2. Watch in the second chapter of the Bible. God is already giving us a pattern for marriage. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Right there in chapter 2, we're already seeing four things, four laws of marriage. Right down the first one is that it has to be first. For this cause or for this reason. So our marriage needs to have priority. I heard someone say it this way. If I don't date my wife, somebody else will. So there has to be priority of the relationship. I like all the single people are real loud on that. They're like, mm. No married people say anything. Married people look like this. The whole time I preach about marriage, marriage folk look like this because they're thinking about their spouse. If I get a, a, one amen today, it's from someone single. I promise you that. Mmm, single folk. No married person said a word right there. It's like this. Why he got to preach about this stuff? Why he got to wake up and choose violence? Hate this place, man. It's got to take priority. It's got to become something that's not like existing in your life. It's a priority in your life. And I think what I love about God is he's not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. So he is first in our life. And then after that, my spouse is second. My spouse is right there. The priority of my life is God and Julia. I just live for two J's, Jesus and Julia. That's my life right there. And so that has to become a priority. And if your priorities are out of order, your whole life is out of order. So I first worship a faithful God so I have the unshakable kingdom working in my life so I have a shot at the priority of my marriage. I put the priority of our dates. I put the pri Recently I was telling my wife, we need to go on a trip, just the two of us. I love our kids, just not that much. And so I was like, I want to get away. I want to get away. I want to get away to the sunshine. Somehow LA has turned into Seattle and I'm sick of it. And so I was telling her and she's like, you know, Julia's really sweet about the kids. She's like, no, I love the kids. Maybe they should come. They're the best. And I was like, I will pay you money to leave them at home. I'll pay you. I'll Venmo you money. Because I, I, this is priority to me. Our, our, our communication our relationship, our friendship, our companionship, 
Remember, when God made Eve, he didn't make Eve out of Adam's head so she could rule over him. She didn't, he didn't make Eve from, from Adam's foot so he could step all over her. He made Eve from his rib so they could be partners, so they could walk together. So it's got to be a priority. Here's the second law. You'll see it right there, is that you have to work at it. And they'll be joined together. When you join something together that was it was, when you join two lives, two backgrounds, two values, when you join two lives together, it takes work. And you got to remember, if you stop working on the relationship, the relationship stops working itself. So it just takes work. It takes work. It takes lean in. It takes buy in. It takes work. Working on our communication. Working on our forgiveness. Working on our love. Working on our future. So you see they're joining together. So it takes priority. It takes work. Write down number three. It takes sharing. And the two become one flesh. And I got to be honest, when I got married, I was 28 years old when I married Julia, and I was selfish. I was, I was really, I had my ways set. Like, I was a Costco club member before I met Julia. Now, I go to Costco, I buy the same thing. Same thing every time I went to Costco. One of those things I bought every time was a big box of honey bunches of oats. And I just, I had my ways. I, this was a dinner at least once a week. I was just, I knew what I wanted. I knew where I wanted to go. I knew my flow. I knew my, my routine. I knew my schedule. I knew my money. I had money before I got married. I knew where all my money was being spent. Pretty soon, all I saw was Target, 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 Target. But I had to learn how to share. Remember, marriage is the deathbed for selfishness. You will not be able to stay married if you're selfish. If you're a selfish person, marriage will beat the selfishness right out you. Because the only way for your marriage to thrive is to serve. It's to give preference. It's to not, it's not I meet you halfway and you meet me halfway. It's I give you 100, you give me 100. So there's sharing and sharing. I learned, I learned, I gotta share with Julia. I gotta let, and sharing in our marriage looks like she runs it. Ah, I'm just kidding. But I, I learned to share. Before, when, when we got, first got married, we'd go to, out to eat and, you know, Julia would order something and I would order something and then she would have the audacity to ask to try what I ordered. She's like, can I try that? And before, when we first got married, I was like, no. Like, you order something, I order something, like, in, you tell, give me notes on what you think, on how you enjoyed yours. The, how many of you know that's not going to work in a marriage? Now, I don't even order. The waiter comes to the table, and I'm just like, oh, she'll, or, she'll order the food. We just, I'll just, I'm, I'm happy to pay and eat whatever she orders. <laughs> but sharing, you got to share. He's, he's saying the two shall become one. It's, it's, a, it's a joint bank account. It's, it's one, it's one family. It's one Netflix account. Who am I preaching to right there? But it's, 
the two shall become one. And then the last thing is that it, it, it must be protected. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. What were they? They were naked and they were unashamed. So in other words, they, there, was no, there was nothing in their relationship that was like, ah, I, 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 need, I need to protect myself. I need to hide myself. I don't feel, I don't feel like I can remember that faithful word. Truth, trust, and trustworthy. I don't feel like I can trust you. I don't feel like I can be my full self. Your your spouse should never feel like they can't be themselves around you. I, I, I get to show you the good, the bad, and the ugly around you. And by the way, it's my privilege to build up my spouse's self-esteem. It's not their responsibility to build up their confidence. It's my privilege to also add to their confidence. So it's got to be protected. It's got to be covered. They were naked and unashamed. What, what the Bible's saying is they were totally free. They could totally be themselves. And that's how you know you have a good friend when you don't have to filter everything that you want to that you want to say, everything that you're feeling, everything you're going through. I can speak because I'm seen and I'm known and I'm accepted. So it takes work, it takes sharing, it takes priority, it takes protection. It's all right there in Genesis chapter 2, the laws for marriage. And now I want to give you three things, the foundation for marriage. Let me give you three things very quickly. Number one, the first foundation is we build our marriages on God's word. That is the foundation for our marriages is the word of God. All of God's blessing is held within God's word. So if you, anybody you want your marriage to be blessed, or you want your house to be blessed, let me see your hand. You want your marriage to be blessed. Okay, awesome. Single people, you would love to have a marriage that would be blessed one time. Let me just see. Yeah, these are the loud ameners right there. And so if you want it to be blessed, you have to build it on God's word. So whatever God says, we're going to do in our house. So if God says to forgive, we're going to forgive. If God says to give tithes, we're going to give tithes. If God says to do it this way, I'm going to do it that way. Because whatever, all of God's blessing is held within God's word. So that's why we don't question, did God really say that? No, the Bible actually teaches us we don't have to add one thing to this book and we don't have to take away one thing from this book. We can live according to the scriptures. I know it's cheesy, but, you know, let me just break down the Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. These are our instructions. These are our laws. The Bible says that this word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So how do I navigate my marriage? Because, come on, there's, there's highs and lows, and there's seasons where it's good, and there's seasons where it's not good. That's marriage. So how am I going to make it in sickness and in health? The only shot I got is through the Word of God. Because I stand on, remember, if I build it on feelings, feelings come, but feelings go. I'm not building my marriage off feelings. Because I don't always feel like being a servant. I don't always feel like giving my best. I don't always feel like giving her preference. I don't always feel like sharing. I don't always feel like working on my marriage. So the only way it's going to work is if I build it off God's word. Jesus saw God's word more important than food. When the enemy tried to tempt Jesus, 
He says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he's saying is, his word is my sustenance. His word is my provision. His word leads and guides me. I want to encourage you, get into the word of God together as a couple. Start speaking and confessing the promises of God. Start sending scriptures that will encourage your spouse. We're building our marriages. The grass could wither. The flower could fade. But the word of the Lord, I'm going to build on that thing forever. Jesus says this. He said the foolish couple, the foolish marriage, builds their marriage on the sand. But the wise marriage builds it on the, I wish I could do a Sean Connery accent, the rock. (laughs) Terrible, wasn't it? You got to build your marriage on the rock. Our marriage is built on the kingdom principles and king. Why? Because I received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So because you can't shake God's kingdom, I'm going to build my marriage on God's word. And if God's word is in your marriage, you will thrive. Remember, God sent his word to you that it could revive you and that it could heal you. Do you know how many marriages are barely, barely limping along They look like the picture I showed from Chicago. And if you would strengthen and fill in God's word, it could get strong enough to handle anything you go through. But you cannot do it without God's word. And if you want your marriage to be blessed, all of God's blessing is held within God's word. And the more you apply God's word in your marriage, the more you apply God's word in your home, the more you will experience the blessing of God. You could go from hating each other to loving each other. The problem with COVID is people were able, you know, to have, you know, they could avoid each other in their marriage. But COVID threw everybody into the same house. And they're like, oh, I remember you. We got married in Cabo and we did the YMCA together. I haven't seen you since we did the Macarena. You know that maybe what I love about God is he doesn't cause everything to happen. He's not the author of evil things, but he can use and redeem evil things. So maybe God's using what you're coming out of to bring you back into not tolerating each other. Remember, to be married means that sometimes I I love you and all the time I'm wishing to like you. And, and, And that's okay because it's a relationship. And you've got two broken, flawed people coming together as one. And if you're going to last, you have to have God's word as your light, as your lamp, as your priority, as your future. Your marriage will not last if it's not built on God's word. Further, your marriage will not be blessed if you don't apply God's truths. Because all of God's blessing is held within his word. So it needs to be built on God's By the way, that's not just for your marriage. It's also for your life. We're building our life on God's word. Amen to that? So it needs God's love, God's word. Write down number two, it needs God's love. You need the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. I've talked about the faithfulness of of God. I want to talk just for a moment about the love of God. Let's look at the law of opposite real fast. Look at this in 1 John chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, watch these three things. This is what's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So what the Bible is showing us 
is that we want the love of the Father to be in our lives, not the lust of the world. Love is a decision. Lust is a feeling. So if I build my life on lust, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. By the, the Bible says in Proverbs, eyes are never satisfied. They can't see enough. So if I build my life on lust, not love, it's emotions. I'll never be able to stand in front of somebody and fulfill my vows to them in sickness and in health, in, in poor and rich. I'll never be able to do that if I choose lust. Because lust is choosing the temporary. Love is to choose what is eternal. Love is to choose what is the best for the other person. So I need God's love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not both. I need God's love. So I build it on his word and I build it on his love. You will never love your spouse if you can't receive God's love. So I choose to allow God, hands open, I know I'm broken, I know I got mistakes, I know I'm not perfect, I know I forgot to pick up my dirty laundry again, I apologize, I know I don't want to do that, why would I want to do the dishes? But for you, God... As I let God love me, I'm filled to overflowing with God's love. If you want to be able to love your spouse, let God shower you with his kindness. Shower you with forgiveness. Shower you with grace. And you'll be able to give. You cannot give away what you do not have. So we build it on God's word. We build it on God's love. I love the And by the way, the greatest love the world has ever known is the, world, is the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, he actually teaches us in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. So the way that Jesus loves this thing right here called Zoe Church is the way I'm called to love Julia. In the same way that Jesus serves the church, build the church, gave his life to the church, is the same way I should serve Julia and, and build up Julia and give my life to Julia. By the way, the gold standard in marriage is not someone else's marriage. Comparison is the thief of joy. The quickest way to take away the special thing that you and your spouse have is to compare it with somebody else's marriage. By the way, every marriage has its own unique set of issues. Aren't you grateful you have yours? We all have our own. There's no perfect marriage. There's no perfect person. We go to God who is perfect, and we receive his perfect love. And as he showers his perfect love over me, I'm able to find the love in my heart to serve and to encourage and to build up my significant other. So we need God's word as a foundation. We need God's love as a foundation. Right down the third and the last one today is we need God's house as a foundation, the house of God. I'm telling you, church will save your marriage. Church will make your marriage, even if you're just thriving, surviving for a little season, not doing that good, mad at each other, you got some issues, you had some secrets, you had some unforgiveness, you, you had some things that you found in the DMs or the texts or whatever, and you caught it on an Apple. I don't care how you found it. I don't care what happened. It was on an iPad, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can work through anything if you get into the house of God. Church will change your life. Church will save your life. Because church is that thing that if somebody's messing up in the marriage, church will kind of expose them. Somebody's dating somebody they shouldn't be dating. Church folk, we, we honest. Church people come around you. We sneaky honest though. We come around, we ask you how you're doing. We got an agenda. Like, how you been? It's cold for. What are you doing? 
I'll never forget the girl I dated before Julia. She's not around no more. But the girl that I dated before Julia, I thought she was the one. And I'll never forget I brought her to church. And everybody at church is like, so that's what we doing? That's who we dating? And I was dumb and young. I was like, yeah. What's wrong? And they're like, mm-mm. Mm-mm, girlfriend. Mm-mm. That ain't it. See, church is this place where there's accountability and there's community. And the Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord, they will always be fresh. They will always be flourishing. I met all my friends through church. I've, I've got all my calling in the house of God. All Everything good in my life is attached to church. There's, there's, there's nothing that God hasn't done in and through my life that hasn't been associated to church. And the more you get into the house of God, the more you make the house of God a priority. Those things which are wicked, those things which are rebellious, those things which are broken, nothing is hidden in the presence of God. That's why you ought to get to church. Because all week long, you might be hiding something. You might be doing with something. You might be messing with something. You get in the house of God, and God's like, uh-uh. You're better than that. I've called you to greatness. I've put something on you. i put something in you. you got to get into the presence of God. Oh, I was talking to somebody this last week. He's going through hell in his marriage. I've been keep following up. How you guys doing? What's going on? I'm praying. I'm believing because I don't believe in divorce. The Bible's very clear. The ramifications of, 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 of the qualifications of divorce. And since this hasn't happened, I'm fighting for their marriage. And so I'm asking him, how's it going? How you doing? And she refuses to come to church. And I'm like, bro, I'm praying she comes because I know what the presence of God does to somebody. The presence of God takes that which is dead and makes it alive, takes that which is blind and gives them sight. Come on, anybody thankful today that it's the house of God that will make you fresh. Your marriage can't survive without church. It's the way God designed it. Hebrews chapter 10, last scripture of the day. Stand to your feet and read it with me. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's the Bible teaching us today, church? It's saying don't forsake getting together in the house of God. The house of God could save your life and save your marriage. Because it's, it's in the house of God that I've seen two people walk in upset, angry, bitter, and broken. First song, they're like this. Second song, they're like this. Third song, this. But maybe by the end of the message, like this. Jesus. Take my shaky love, God. Take my weak hands.